Hello and welcome to Last Week on Earth with Gary. Today's guest is Sybil Barden, an author and SDG and ESG strategist. She is an early champion of stakeholder capitalism. Your host today is Michael Coran, the founder of the Global Arena Research Institute. Enjoy, subscribe, and share. Sybil, welcome to our podcast last week on Earth uh, with Global Arena Research Institute. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. We usually start these podcasts, given the name and given the title, uh, with a, a question which is not related to the topic itself, but it's uh, more to uh, just to get to know you better and uh, to <laughs> know your your views of, of the world. And so the first question would be what caught your eye or or what stuck in, in, in your mind in the past few weeks, something that uh, you believe would be worth sharing with our listeners? Thanks, uh, Mikhail, first for having me. It's a great opportunity. It's an important subject. And uh, well, what caught my eyes, the World Economic Forum came out with a new Future of Jobs report. Mm -hmm. And Basically, the headlines in from the Financial Times to the New York Times I saw were the rise of AI and the green transition will transform the world. And they were uh -huh. talking about that AI will drive 83 million structural job cuts in five years. But at the same time, also they anticipate um, creating 69 million new jobs. Uh -huh. And I thought... Um, a, it's a prediction, and we really don't know what will happen. But my first thought was it's with every every revolution. Things that outlive their time will go, mm -hmm. and new things will come. I think this time it's a little more dangerous because mm -hmm. we can't predict it. Um, I, I noticed you spoke to a lot of um, technology experts in your podcast. What what would be your uh, reaction to it? Oh, don't even get me started on this <laughs> because that's one of the things that really uh, sort of preoccupies us lately. And what we're working on is, is a, a big uh, data-driven study of of the diverse impact of the twin transition of the green and digital transition on various uh, European regions. And the picture is really bleak. I mean, I'm generally a very optimistic person, but what we see in the data, uh, which uh, so, so we did this time series over the past 12 years and the development, and we see that uh, the, the the development regarding these two transitions is very uneven across Europe. And the more vulnerable regions are getting more vulnerable and mm -hmm. the less vulnerable regions or mostly urban centers are getting much better off. And uh, so now we're sort of modeling the impact. If, if this sort of trajectory is going to continue, uh, we're getting to almost impossible level of social transfers to, to make sure that this is not having a, a really bad social and political impact. So, so as I said, um, this is really something that 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 is very important topic for us, and and all the better not all the better in a way that you started with that. So thank you very much, thank you very much for this <laughs> yeah. point. Yeah, um, and I was yeah also happy to see that they they came up. I mean, they always come up with with positive um, uh, solutions, and they talk about the fastest growing jobs, for example, and it's of course AI and machine learning specialists and fintech engineers. 
but we are looking for um, different skill set now. Mm -hmm. We are looking for people with analytical skills, which I found encouraging and mm -hmm. complex problem solving and creative thinking. Um, yeah, so well, we have to we have to go with the flow here. I would think. I, I absolutely agree, and um, um, just one last point on that. Uh, I um, I'm, I'm getting a little bit anxious anytime I'm here. The words, you know, there's a silver lining, or or let's not waste a good up, uh, get good crisis, things like that. The way the data that we're looking at it, there's very little silver lining for a lot of places in Europe, and and this was specifically focused on Europe. And I cannot even imagine how how things are developing in other parts of the world. So yeah, well, what a what a cheerful start of the. <laughs> <laughs> but you make me very curious now. What what is your what, what what did you see? Can you can you say or is it confidential? Well, no, no, it's not confidential. But um, obviously, this podcast is more about you. But why not why not to why not to say that? So what we see is a deepening divergence uh, in Europe. Uh, there are there are localities and regions which are extremely vulnerable to the. To first the sort of deglobalizing tendencies, then to the green transition and to the uh, to the digital transition. Simply the 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 employment structure, education, research and development uh, uh, structure, all these things are either stagnating or actually deteriorating. And we have maybe 10, 12 uh, urban sort sort of super super centers in Europe which are competitive. It could be, you know, era around Munich, Paris, Luxembourg, uh, Dublin, even Prague. But then you mm -hmm. have almost half of the regions are simply not developing uh, fast enough, or either, or even stagnating, or going backwards in some areas. And uh, you know, despite all the structural cohesion funds and despite all the well-meant strategies. This this makes a very divisive uh, social and economic environment in Europe, and so that that doesn't fill me with optimism. And we even you know try to urge some uh, policymakers to think about what if the transition will really have a bad impact uh, uh, on on these regions. Shouldn't we start thinking about Plan B rather than only sketching you know broad and and optimistic uh, sounding uh, strategies? So that that's a little bit um, that's a little bit. A hard job to do that, but that's 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 what we that's what we see. Mm -hmm. I think uh, there are at the moment so many different developments um, in the world, um, which all need our um, equal attention. Right? It is absolutely. not just AI. It is we absolutely. have the climate, the biodiversity, mm -hmm. poverty, mm -hmm. poverty. My God, I mean, we for completely forget poverty, and. Um, yeah, so we have to work smarter. Harder. Yeah, yeah, I, I exactly, uh, and and I would even say with a more individualized or localized approach. I think that will be the key for the future. Uh, though you know the broad strokes will simply not be enough. Anyway, well, as again, what a cheerful start. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got another story, but I thought I start with the um, AI because it it relates to your work. Okay, well, thank you. And then, well, if you want to share another story, we'll be happy to hear that. Yeah, because it's a very interesting story. I did last week, um, I had a long conversation um, with the chairman of Siemens who told me all about Kigali. 
Mm-hmm. And Kigali is the cleanest city in Africa. Mm-hmm. In fact, Rwanda uh, leads the green revolution in Africa. Mm-hmm. So I looked it up. It's all over CNN, Reuters. Um, they're re- reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Um, they Their policy are in total alignment with nature. Wow. Plastic is completely forbidden. Mm. Um, and... Yeah, and they have um, this community self-help practice called Umuganda, where they ask people the last Saturday of the month to go out and clean up their streets. So all of that, and of course, there's much more to say about Kigali, but all of that, I thought that was um, great news to me. I didn't know that. Even I um, traveled quite quite a lot to Africa. Um, yeah, so I thought I'd share that with you. Well, that's a great story, and it would be interesting to know how how did they manage to do that, and what you know what 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 costs you know were included. But I guess we we have to keep that for another conversation. But thank you very much for bringing that up, and and then um, and this will be a nice bridge to the perhaps more positive uh, topic of this podcast, and that is uh, the concept of stakeholder capitalism. Mm. Um, I will be talking as someone who is very curious about this concept, who uh, does understand the general logic or let's say the general normative uh, philosophy, but uh, that's about it. I I also do understand that there are some more cynical views uh, of this topic. There are some uh, more genuine uh, and then there are some outcomes, but uh, let's start with with a general overview of how you understand uh, stakeholder capitalism, and and then we will uh, use that as a springboard to further conversation. Mm-hmm. Stakeholder capitalism. Um, the aim of uh, this system is to structure a sustainable capitalism for the 21st century in which all stakeholders of society are included in the common and sustainable value chain. So the idea is that businesses have a responsibility that extends beyond their shareholders. That's what we have Mm -hmm. at the moment, certainly in the West, Um, that we look also at our employees our investors, the community we are in, the suppliers, the customer, the environment, and actually the general public at large. And um, which means under the system, a company's purpose is to create long-term value, long-term thinking, and not to maximize profits at the cost of other stakeholder groups, which actually led us to that moment in our life. And um, to make it short, we have four pillars on which this um, stakeholder capitalism is based. And it's the planet is right in the center. We have Mm -hmm. to do right by the planet, by the people, prosperity and good governance. Mm -hmm. And that means look at your greenhouse gases. And I'm talking for companies now as Mm -hmm. well as for countries. Greenhouse gases and how you use your land. For people... Um, It's about pay equality, equality full stop. And do you provide enough training in the companies to fit, um, to make your people fit for what's coming now? It's about prosperity. Do you, in your communities, do you make sure that you pay your fair share of taxes 
and um, good governance, uh, last but not least. Um, it's an, you look at corruption and the purpose of, of the company. So to give you um, an overall idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll, we'll get back to more details, but maybe the first question that comes to my mind, how, if, how is this related to the, you know, I guess, wide, more widely known ESG concepts to, you know, towards govern or towards leading corporations? Mm. Uh, is it, is it a different philosophy? Is, does it go deeper or, or, or let's say ESG is more policy rather the stakeholder capitalism uh, concept tries to change the overall mentality is uh, or is it pretty much a very similar um, uh, concept? Mm. That's a very interesting question because um, that is the clue. It hasn't been communicated uh, on on the wider level and um yeah, so I'm I'm actually grateful for this for this question, and I would like to put put it in context, and I can put it in context, because um, at the beginning of my journey, I had a very long com- or many long conversations with um, Professor Schwab from the World Economic Forum, who started in 2019 the Great Reset, where he actually he and the forum um, started saying um, we need to reset our entire system. And we had, if you think back, in 2015, um, we had all the member countries of the United Nations um, committed to save the planet. They signed up for the 17 UN Sustainable Goals, which um, we refer to as SDGs, right? Where Mm -hmm. it's all about poverty and hunger should be reduced by 2030, health improved, equality made possible and of course we want to protect the planet so but what does it mean for companies and there always has been um there had been sustainable sustainability measures around and but in 2020 or let's say 2019 was a great reset there we we started a complete new um yeah it was a reset mm-hmm. We, we suddenly heard from global businesses um, things like to save the planet, we need governments, businesses, and civil society working together in every country, on every continent, and every sector and industry, right? And we wanted to build back better, greener, and fairer. How do we do that? And they sat down, and in a relatively short time, they came up with the ESGs which are better known as the environmental, um, social, and governance Mm -hmm. pillars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And if you look into it, you had basically the big four consulting consulting, um, companies, Bank of America, the then Prince of Wales, um, and I don't know who else, and of course, under the leadership of the World Economic Forum, they sat together and said, how do we measure the change. Mm-hmm. How do we measure companies being sustainable? And if we briefly go into the um, pillars, for example, the environmental pillar, what does it mean for an organization? It means look at your supply chain, mm-hmm. look at the carbon emissions in your supply chains, look at in your 
land use, right, where your industry is on, uh, biodiversity, water stress, clean tech, um, is do you have a green building? Um, how is your electronic waste? That would be all um, uh, points, core points under the environmental pillar. If we go to the social pillar, of course, looking um, looking after your people, which means you go into health and safety, human capital development. Do you train your people, especially now? Do you make your people fit for purpose now? Um, what about privacy and data security? What is your relationship with communities? So, and if you move further through the governance pillar, um, you look at corporate behavior, right? Business mm -hmm. and ethics, um, tax again, corruption. That are basically the ESGs um, we have to implement into companies to fulfill the social development goals our governments had already committed to. Um, again, I, I I hope we will have time to get uh, into more details because you also mentioned taxation, corruption, which is uh, extremely difficult. Uh, and, and, you know, even to overview your supply chains, it's, 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 it's almost impossible for the biggest of um, um, corporations and, and, you know, smaller suppliers may be in an even worse position. Uh, but let me just ask first question, first still general, not first, but we will cut this out. <laughs> but let, let me just ask um, a another broader question. Do you think this is um, rather top-down driven development or is there a, a genuine interest at the level of companies uh, to sign up for this and uh, and change their approach to uh, doing business, which is, you know, obviously about making profits and stay, staying afloat. Nobody questions uh, that a company has to make profits. Mm -hmm. And as, as far as I see it, and I've been on that journey now for three years, day in, day out, mm -hmm. um, asking really global leaders and entrepreneurs, new guys coming into um how they approach it it's a from my point of view it's a top down and down up approach mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay um, and uh, we, so please go, sorry, ahead. go we ahead, need no. clearly to have guidance from board levels we mm -hmm. need to have guidance from our politicians um they need to work together but we also need initiatives um from below let me give you an example i also uh, had um, uh, a long conversation with um, a young man who is now, uh, I don't know, a global shaper or whatever uh -huh, they call uh -huh. him. Um, he was in his early 20s studying, went to Indonesia and um, saw the river full of plastic. Right. And together with his friends, they sat there and thought, why, why is that happening? 80% of all the water in the oceans uh, come from rivers. Why mm -hmm. is nobody cleaning up rivers? So what mm -hmm. did they do? They um, uh, took a gap year and went to Indonesia, created a low-tech, local and cheap technology to clean the rivers um, from plastic. So this kind of initi initiatives we need as well. 
and of course we need um yeah we need a vision a mission a, a big goal mm-hmm. we need new leadership from or not even new better better leadership um from um the the board level um of the companies because if if this is right this report i i read the other day that four out of five companies do um want to commit to SDG or have committed to SDGs and ESGs um but four out of five companies have no plan mm-hmm. to install it yeah and that can be for many reasons i think one shouldn't fall into the trap here that they just simply don't want there is a lack of information that is immense the 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 information is just not there i think most businesses thought up until recently um that train will pass it's another fashion it will pass because the complexity and the interconnected and interconnectivity uh we have with the planet and people and we are not doing that because it is the latest trend if you look at the status quo where we are why we are doing it is because the planet is exhausted mm. more profit is just um putting us over the edge mm. Right, we have, and um, I found those numbers because I read an article I wrote for Capital recently about exactly why we are doing that. Um, and it said the, for example, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, um, the IPCC, mm-hmm. said the last decade was probably the hottest in the past hundred twenty-five thousand years. Mm. Our oceans, oceans which cover seventy percent of the planet have warmed more in the last century than at any time in the past 11,000 years. And coming now to us, to the people, according to the UN, 2.1 billion people do not have access to drinking water. That is every fourth person. Mm. So if it's you, Odessa, and me, the listener is the fourth person, will not have access to drinking Mm. water. Mm. That Mm. That is immense. And the same with food. Plus the di- biodiversity. Um, and then we ca- come to the point where we look at the just at the G20 countries. About 80% of them, uh, of the greenhouse gas emissions, come from the G20 countries. And just eight supply chains are responsible for 50% of emissions. Mm. So mm. we got why we are doing that we got the idea how to do better we got it structured we got it we got um principles and we are implementing them already um as i said i started three years ago this this journey because that were exactly my questions i wanted to know um how how do those pioneers implement it right it was all new and um how did they do that? Um, how can they guide others? Mm-hmm. Um, what is stakeholder capitalism? Very much like you ask me now. Uh, net zero, how does it work? Circular economy, good governance, um, have the planet as the major stakeholder. And still, how can a company be successful? And it was just 
Mikael, it was just wonderful. I really mm. dived into a parallel world um, where companies actually structured themselves behind SDGs and ESGs. And they showed it works. It is a proper business model. It works, but it needs rules, regulations. It needs to be controlled and it needs to be implemented um, on a wider level. It sounds like a really fascinating journey, um, and I'm sure that that, or I'm not sure, but I would I would assume that um, from time to time you face, you know, either let's say misconceptions of what it is, or 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 you face skepticism towards it. I mean, I uh, last year I read a very very biting and critical and even cynical I would say book um, called The Davos Man. I'm I'm I'm, I'm fairly certain you, uh, you you have read that too, and 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 the author um, is almost mocking the the term uh, stakeholder capitalism. What would you what would you know? So so maybe the first question is. What are the biggest misconceptions about that uh, term uh, in your view? And how do you how do you fight these misconceptions? What do you mean by misconception? Well, maybe not misconception, but uh, well, yeah, one would be misconception in a way that um, or okay, let's 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 forget about the, the the term misconception, but let's say what would you say to the skeptics or to the to the uh, you know more cynical uh, view, which would um, you know say in many cases mm, this mm. is more of a window dressing, but 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 the meat stays untouched. Uh, um, which I, you know I would I would assume that this is part of your you know part of your um, mm. endeavor to uh, to make sure that you explain the you know that that. The, this is not the way it's being done. <laughs> mm. Well, um, yeah. Okay, let's let's make it a little personal. Mm -hmm. um, I spent my childhood on, and my teenage years in socialism. Mm -hmm. The next ten years I spent in West Germany, being a journalist as a very at a very conservative um, publishing company called Axel Springer. And but experiencing experiencing still a united Germany that moved uh, towards globalization. We still had some um, social market economy, pretty pretty much what we are looking for now in stakeholder capitalism. Mm -hmm. um, but we moved um, with an unbelievable speed towards globalization, mm -hmm. deregulation. So from there. I moved to London and spent there another 10 years. And Britain has an even tougher capitalism because their capitalism is deeply rooted in dominance and colonialism. Mm. Mm. And um, as far as I remember, um, when Margaret Thatcher came into power, um, she deeply focused on financial deregulation and kind of an imperial capitalism again. So all of that had been more or less adapted by the entire Western economy. So we had the social market economy, like almost like the stakeholder capitalism, what we want right now. Um, we had all that, right? We looked mm -hmm. after uh, workers. We had fair wages. We had unions uh, being part of... 
um, the supervisory board and companies. They all had a say, the community had a say. And companies, mm -hmm. um, I mean, Germany, for example, has large family companies, family-owned companies like uh, Siemens at the time or Bertelsmann and so on. They are very much involved in community businesses. Mm -hmm. All that had been watered down to a really Anglo-American level, which goes back to Milton Friedman's, um, mm -hmm. who was the American um, economist who basically said, the business of business is business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah? It's, your, Profit, it's your responsibility to yeah. make money. <laughs> Profit above everything. Yeah, That is fine. It makes it very simple. If you are a CEO of a company, you have just one simple task. You make money for the shareholder. So that is fine. We all lived through that time. We all have our CVs and made uh, our careers. But now we realize this growth, this endless growth has come to an end. Not only because we suddenly have a virus and the, and the, and the economy is down for almost a year, um, It is coming to an end because we are now better informed of what our greed does to the planet. Mm -hmm. Yes, we want to make profit. Clearly, it's a business. It's private property. Um, but we have to balance it. And since the global financial crisis, I keep on asking myself the question, in what kind of society do I want to live? Having been in those three um, and being married to a man who grew up in the colonies um, in East Africa. Um, so I, I have a pretty good idea of what a good and bad system is. Mm -hmm. And this stakeholder capitalism, whatever you call it, you can also call it social market economy. Let's mm -hmm. call it that. We don't mm -hmm. want to uh, stick to this one word if you don't like mm -hmm. it. Um There is, and from my point of view, that is the best option at the moment. And you don't need only the best option. What you do need uh, is to put it into place. Yeah, you, 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 we have many, many options. We have many, many ideas about how the best um, society uh, looks like. We can look even um, at Asia and we can look at China and say state capitalism works for China. Great, perfect. State capitalism doesn't work for us, but our shareholder capitalism doesn't work for us either. Mm -hmm. So we have to find a different way and we have to find a way to coexist because we still have to fight climate change, biodiversity, hunger, and so on. Um, so why not making life fairer? What is the problem with making life fairer? And I remember whenever one in Davos, because you, you talked about uh, this book, Whenever Davos talked about um, big business, nobody had a problem with that. Mm. Suddenly, the World Economic <laughs> to Forum talks about to make the world better, fairer, and greener and brings in really the big players of the world. Suddenly, that is now a concern and, and one needs to ask questions. Mm. For whom? That, that's For whom a very good a point. That's a very good point. I, I like that point very much. Um, do you see 
let's say cultural differences uh, when when you know speaking to people from different countries or or maybe maybe even from different generations or even um, you know in in terms of gender. Uh, mm. Do you find differences you know that would be structural or is it more individual? From my experience of the just of the last three years, and I really um, picked the people. I wanted to talk to because I thought they made a big impact on the industry, community life, whatsoever. Um, there is no difference. Mm -hmm. They all understood that they have to do something. And the ones I was um, glad to talk to had also the power or the ideas or the creativity um, to do something. And we basically... Um, went through the whole transformation, either through the company or creating a new value chain or setting up a complete new company which has the circular model behind it. It's based on a circular model. Mm -hmm. Or you have, um, for example, one of my uh, first conversation, um, yeah, it was in 2020 late where, where it was all new, um, was with Donia Amer. She was at that time CEO of Bosch Climate Solutions. And Bosch, um, this, this old traditional conservative company, um, suddenly they decided um, we have to do something. And she was talking about that today, and I quote her here, today sustainability is a positive differentiator. Tomorrow it will be the new normal. Anyone who rearranges themselves behind a larger climate goal and realigns their corporate structure will have a competitive advantage in the world of tomorrow. This world of tomorrow is today. Mm. And today we have, I think, at least short of 200 really big players, big, big global players who are committed to the SEGs and to the SDGs. And there are a few things they have in common. Certainly those people I talked to, they have in common. Collaboration. That is a that is a must go. They cannot do it on their own mm -hmm. anymore. Siemens, for example, uh, talked about um, I think it was the um, CEO of Digital Industries and he basically said um, size, no longer matters and we have to move away from the ecosystem towards the ecosystem so you say now probably yeah well a lot of talk but Siemens is a is a massive company is really a big player and they did make the move they did do the transformational they're partly stay in it clearly Siemens energy has more problems than Siemens altogether but they created, for example, the um, best factory in the world. They regularly get awarded with that best mm. factory in the world. And I mm. said, what is your best factory? Um, that combines all the technologies um, that we have at the moment, from digital twins to uh, cloud computing um, to Internet of Things, etc. They put it all together with at the same time using greenhouse gas emissions, with at the same time 
pay proper wages, look after their um, supply chain and so on. Um, you have micros. It is not that they don't have that deep feeling of responsibility, mm. right? You, clearly, you were you were saying, yeah, is it all um, is it all PR and marketing? Um, clearly, I, I, I have I feel I have to jump very very quickly in. I'm not that skeptic. I'm not I'm not that person who would say that. Um, and uh, and I am uh, personally I feel that w w you put it very nicely that that the world of tomorrow is here today. I even would say that the world of tomorrow was yesterday. Um, mm. That the time is running out in in so many aspects, and and that's perhaps that drives me into these questions to see whether the impact is real. That you know. Mm. So 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 just to make this make this clear. And um, making a little detour here, uh, you have mentioned the term biodiversity, which I'm really uh, grateful for because I feel like this topic is being slightly, uh, it's not as prominent as the uh, climate change in general. Uh, you know, I, mean, I feel that, you know, this is something that, that every person can, uh, can contribute to is a biodiversity. That's something that we actually can do individually. Um, is that also prominent in, uh, in, in your line of work? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, biodiversity is together with climate change. I, I think it's all interdependent anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because what you see now, for example, with the um, melting ice in the Arctic, um, it is not just the melting ice. It is also the bacteria and the viruses mm -hmm. that come out of it. And and, and old, um, I don't know, kind of animals that you, we all thought were, were long gone might resurrect. Who knows? It is. I do think it is all interconnected, but we have to talk about biodiversity. You are absolutely right. Much more, because um, I think it was the um, World Biodiversity Council that that said um, we expect almost a million plant and animal species to become extinct in the coming decades. I mean, becoming extinct, right? Uh, just so, this is just. I, I cannot even. This is just terrible. You know, that's that, that's just. Yeah, no, please so go ahead. <laughs> do we really do we, we really want to want to tell uh, the, the next generations um look here's a picture of an elephant that's what we had once but we were too greedy we took away mm. his mm. plants we took away his water um and um yeah we just set up a new oil pipeline. Speaking of biodiversity there is a cat which is trying to get back into my office which <laughs> 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 she's getting really desperate and uh but we still have at least uh one thing to cover if i if i may suggest and that is the issue of taxation i believe this will be one of the hardest nuts to crack at the corporate level uh to make sure that the biggest uh corporations and especially um you know the 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 big um investment companies or or the big tech companies that they do pay their fair share uh i feel this is one of the biggest problems uh, on the road to more sustainable future how how do the leaders react to that topic? <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think? How how do they react? <laughs> and we have to we have to we have to differ between leaders and leaders. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think if we look at uh, small, medium-sized companies or even um, European-based companies, they are in their countries with a proper financial system and they, I would think, more or less pay their fair share of taxes. Mm-hmm. And then we have the global tech companies. And they alone, I mean, it seems to me that every country is happy to have them and to say, I'm so glad that you're here. Please don't pay any taxes. Mm -hmm. So that no longer can work. Mm -hmm. But we have movements also from the global um, businesses. I mean, who would have thought that, for example, Larry Fink, CEO of BlackRock, right, calls for ESGs and SDGs being um, part of the performance. Why does Microsoft um, more and more often say, look, we pay more taxes, but we also need more regulations. We need to have more knowledge. We need to have more ethics. It is one thing that a company does what it does. And it is another thing that the state puts in a proper structure and control system. We have yet now with the I know you want to talk about taxes, but we have, um, for example, with the ESG, now we have a standards board, right? So it's step by step, we have more and more regulations and rules into place. And the same with taxes. It needs a global tax system from my point of view. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We have global companies, we have globalization, um, have a global tax system. Well, maybe maybe with the... With the trend of sort of decoupling and 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 perhaps something like deglobalization, it will be more realistic because well, you know one of the global scenarios that we're looking at is sort of more regionalization, where it would be probably uh, probably easier, but still extremely difficult, I believe. But but uh, it's it's good to see that there are that, that there is a movement. Still, maybe that's my uh, sort of personality or mentality. Um, I, I remember the debate uh, about regulating big tech, and uh, my my take on it was more that <laughs> uh, you know Meta and, and and Microsoft and Google they are pushing for the regulations slightly also because they don't want to be responsible for the content and the, the, it's the government that is responsible, but maybe I'm wrong. In, so in general, almost the last question because the time is really running out, which I'm very sorry for. I mean, is is the mentality really changing and you see an impact that, um, you know, at either at the global level of companies or at the micro level, uh, are you optimist in this regard? Well, you absolutely. have to be probably, but... <laughs> no, no, absolutely. I, mm-hmm. I absolutely. I, I, I have seen... Uh, socialism really disappearing in front of my eyes. Mm -hmm. And I had the feeling that it would happen, but everything spoke against it, right? The rules at the time in 89, I was 19. So before the year, two years before, um, it got tighter and tighter and tighter. Mm -hmm. And suddenly it was over. Mm -hmm. And with covid 19, it is almost, um, it acted like there is another wall that came down. We have now the chance to do better. And I have to say, having um, so many powerful organizations, um, countries, the United Nations, um, together behind 
the big goal. Clearly, we will not do it overnight. And there will be a lot of greenwashing and corruption. Mm. And mm. But that is a transformation. It's a mm. systemic change that's happening. But it's it's there. It's there. And to all the 26 business leaders, small, big, whether they come from agriculture or they um, from Mission Impossible, I mean, they want to decarbonize seven heavy emitting industries by 2050. And they, mm. they've been created two years ago and they have already 400 massive partners in there from shipping, mm -hmm. uh, aviation and so on. No, there is a strong will to do it. And they understand it is our business now. And it is a, a proper business model as well. The ESG is not just there for the planet. It's also there. It's it's a yeah. It's a new business model. You need mm. to know your business. It has shifted. You need to learn your business new. Forget about how we operated uh, up until now. Mm. We need now clean supply chains. Who would have thought ten years ago a clean supply chains? They would have called you a communist. Mm. Um, mm. Now. Uh, Every responsible leader knows they have to have clean supply chains. How do we realize it? How do we put it into place? We need more regulation. It needs to be measured. And all of that is, I mean, it works on so many levels. And yes, you have the other half who thinks who gets away with a few um, press releases and mm, do nothing. Mm. They will go bankrupt. I can guarantee that. They, mm. they won't survive the next five, six, seven years. They will not. It's a very good point that that uh, one should measure where we are now, uh, comparing to where where we are ten years ago. So so I think that's a very good point that that you can you can see that the mentality is really really changing, and we would be really happy to have you um, um, again. Let's say in a year from now, maybe to check on what happened <laughs> yes. if you accept our invitation. Last question on, on a lighter note, and feel free to not respond if you don't want to. But uh, what movie or tv show or or book or music is there something that you would like to recommend to our listeners um, and, <laughs> and to me personally too <laughs> movie is is difficult right now because i'm i'm working so much but um i do uh, i read lots of books at my table because i like to change them anyway <laughs> i do the same of, thing <laughs> there are two of them i really like and one is called shenzhen about the Chinese uh, city that basically more or less came out of nowhere mm -hmm. and is a mega city with 20 million people. And we have uh, anything what's um, around on technology there. It's called one of the most innovative cities in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but you'd have to take into account that you are now transparent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, it seems... Frank Zieren has written that book. He has been a correspondent in, in, in China, I think, for 30 years. Um, they're now eclipsing Silicon Valley. And they are, if you want to know how we will live tomorrow, I mean, we are so far behind here, so far behind here mm -hmm. in the West, mm -hmm. um, then at least one should know, right? You can criticize a lot, um, but you need to know what you talk about. Mm -hmm. And I think to know about that. And the other book is um, uh, definitely on the same level called The Future is Asian uh, by Parakana. And I read that now the second time because there was so much information in there. And it's a book about to see the world and the future from an Asian point of view. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely fascinating that 
we are linking 5 billion people through trade, finance, and networks um, together, and they represent today already 40% of global GDP, mm, mm. right? And of course, China has taken the lead. They're the biggest, clearly, and they have their silk roads uh, all across Asia, but they're not leading alone. That is a myth. We need to learn. We need to learn. We need to ask questions um, about what what is it that the other side uh, is doing? Mm. How far are they? And what are the, really their values and their their level of technology and development? The question is also, I mean, will in the future the West perhaps produce for Asia? And what is if Asia doesn't want our values? And that are healthy questions. That is not a threat. It is just a learning process. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss the next one. If you want better insights into challenges and decisions you or your business are facing, Gary's analytical services are of unmatched complexity and high accuracy. Whether your questions are on the green energy transition, trade and supply chains, or political and security related, contact us for a free consultation and see how you can optimize your decision making. Thank you for listening. This has been Last Week on Earth with Gary. Until next time, have a great day.